a museum of broken relationships in Croatia. Can you believe that? A museum in the capital city of Croatia about broken relationships. And they have different museum pieces there, different displays that represent what it was that led to the brokenness. There's a, for example, a garden gnome that a woman picked up and threw at her husband's car as he left because he was heartless and cruel. That's in the museum. And uh, then there happens to be uh, not only that, but an axe. Boy, isn't that interesting? Um, A uh, wife got so upset with her husband, she chopped all the furniture up in the house. And, And then there's a wedding dress, and you can just imagine why that's there. There are a number of articles and um, displays there, not only related to women, but related to men as well. And the museum uh, creator said that uh, the museum is sort of a love museum, only upside down. I think that's the case. And he said it appeals to people, and there are a lot of visitors there, because at some time or another, everyone has had a broken heart. You know, Jacob could have put some artifacts there from Genesis chapter 27 and chapter 28. Um, Someone has called the family a masterpiece. And if that's the case, then in Genesis chapter 27, what we have is a masterpiece in pieces. And Jacob is left in Genesis 28, our text this morning, dealing with it. There's an awful lot that Jacob could have put in the museum of broken relationships. He could have had an artifact for his father, Isaac, because Isaac had been disobedient in Genesis chapter 27. God told him to do something with his boys, and he did the exact opposite in Genesis chapter 27. Not only that, but his mother could have put something there, because not only was Isaac disobedient, he was a broken Isaac, but Rebekah was broken as well, because she was deceptive. Rebekah was deceptive. She Uh, saw Isaac's disobedience, and she came up with a plan to rectify it, but it involved deception. And so she could have placed something there in that museum as well. Now, Jacob, uh, she enlisted Jacob in her scheme and in her plot, and uh, Jacob was in decline because of his lack of integrity. Four times he lied to his father to execute his mother's deceptive plan. Well, as a result, Esau was devastated. Esau was devastated. He's broken as well. Isaac's broken. Rebecca's broken. Jacob's broken. Esau's broken. He's devastated. And in verse 41 of chapter 27, he hated Jacob and came up with a plan and the timing of a plan to kill his brother. His mother, who's always overhearing things, came up with a plan to get him out of there and sent him on. So in Genesis 28, verses 1 through 9, the family is broken. And so Jacob leaves, he leaves Beersheba and goes to Haran. And I wonder what in the world does God do when a masterpiece is in pieces? It could be indeed today that someone here finds that their masterpiece is in pieces. It may or may not be a relationship. It may happen to be some dreams. It may happen to be integrity. It could be that maybe you've torn it up and participated in the destruction of your reputation and your integrity. could be that someone else has done it and you've had nothing to do with it. It could be there's been some misunderstanding. It could be that there's someone in life that you're going to be facing soon or face often that you just can't stand and you're afraid of doing that. It could be one way or the other, there is a masterpiece in your life that is in pieces today. Where is God 
whenever your masterpiece is in pieces. Genesis chapter 28, verse number 10, helps us to answer that question. Let's look there. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Herod. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." God knows how to meet people in a broken place. And you can leverage, you can leverage that broken place if you know where it is, you can find God when your masterpiece has been broken into pieces. Well, where can I find him? Well, let me tell you where he is. The first thing is in, in from where he restores us. One, God restores us, God restores us from atop the ladder of revelation. The ladder of revelation. I'm going to use images here, in fact, to describe where it is that we can find God when our masterpiece is broken into pieces. God restores us from atop the ladder of revelation. And here, uh, what you'll find in this text and all other texts is that it is impossible to know God unless God shows us himself. We're incapable. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man cannot discern, does not discern the things of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. In our natural state, outside of Jesus Christ, there is no hope of knowing God. And so if you know anything there is to know about God, it's because God has made himself known. And that's precisely what God does here. In a broken time, God appears and shows himself, shows himself to Jacob. And you know why that is? Because learning something new and afresh of God is more important than any comfort in life. Far more important. Our eternal status is based upon what we know and what we trust. And Jacob learns that here in the text in uh, verses 12 through 15. Uh, here, God connects with him. Jacob has a dream of a ladder, and it stretches from the earth to heaven, and there are angels ascending and descending. Hey, make no mistake. The ladder did not appear for Jacob to climb up. The ladder appeared so help could get down. And that's what God does. God doesn't expect us by our own works to ascend. God, by his own grace, descends and condescends to us. That's the kind of God that he is. Whenever your masterpiece is broken into pieces, you can expect God to appear and show up in mercy and in grace in Jesus Christ. But then he introduces himself in verse 13. 
He said, I am the Lord God of, your, uh, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. In other words, what I was to I, Abraham and what I was to Isaac, I shall be towards you. In other words, this God remains the same. Nothing about God has changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, some, getting, through a, getting through a difficult time and growing spiritually is not only a matter of learning something new. Sometimes it's a matter of remembering something old. That's what it is. Counting on, counting on uh, that walk with God. Counting on what we had learned before. And that's one reason I never, ever denigrate biblical truth by calling it merely a Sunday school answer. Can I tell you something? Those Sunday school answers have been a soft pillow or two or three on which I've laid my head through the years. I never denigrate something. No truth by calling it merely a Sunday school answer. My soul, ladies and gentlemen, we've gotten through life by resting on simple truths. And so Jacob learns here, the God that is confronting him is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And now this same God appears. There is an introduction here. But then there's elevation. Verses 13 to 15, he reiterates the same promise he gave to Abraham and he gave to Isaac. He elevates Jacob biggest rascal in the known world, at least on the biblical pages, to the same status as Abraham and Isaac. Did Jacob deserve that? Oh, no. Uh, did Jacob merit that? Oh, no. What he merited was the chaos and confusion that was permeating and penetrating every area of his life. And yet God revealed and unveiled himself to him, introduced himself to him, connected with him. And in that way, God shows himself a God of grace by elevating Jacob to the status and level of Abraham and Isaac. And God could do that to you as well today. There is hope whenever we are broken. Jacob got this in his dream. I heard about this fella who was with this girlfriend. He'd been dating a long time. And um, he said, honey, I had a dream the other night. And I had a dream that I went to a jewelry store and purchased a ring and uh, that I, I gave it to you and, and you accepted my proposal to marriage. You know, I wonder what that means. <laughs> and she said, well, it's obvious. You have more sense when you're asleep than when you're awake. <laughs> Jacob was so spiritually dull, he got more truth in a dream than he did in life. Here, Jacob meets the Lord. Listen, if your masterpiece is broken to pieces, God is trying to show something to you. And it's vitally important, and it's far more important than any comfort and ease you could have in life. See what it is he's saying and doing. Now, Jesus will pick up on this. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, he meets Nathaniel there and uh, praises Nathaniel for just being straight and direct and being entirely transparent without any guile. And he says in verse 51, most assuredly, or amen, amen, most emphatically, this is a very, very intense divine statement. Most assuredly, I say to, to you that hereafter you shall see Heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Hey, you've tried everything you can in your storm-tossed life. You have sought this and you've sought that. 
Uh, you, you've looked to job and position. You've looked to wealth and possessions. You've looked to romantic relationships. You've looked everywhere you can to fill your life, to give you peace, and to secure you in eternity, and nothing has worked. And it could be that God is saying to you today, in fact, I'm certain He is, that it is through Jesus Christ that you find these things, you find them in Him. Because the ladder that Jacob saw in Genesis 28 is the Jesus of today. Jesus is the connection between earth and heaven, and God accepts and God has no other connection except for him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes into the Father except by me, and thank God he's made Jesus available to you today. And so after after the message, we're going to invite you to give your life to Christ and say yes, and you can have him. You you can repent. You can turn away from sin, anything that's keeping you from Christ, and you can trust Christ, and God will meet you just like he met Jacob. He promises to do so, and he never fails on a single promise. And so, when your masterpiece is broken to pieces, you'll find God atop the ladder of uh, Revelation. But there's a second place. God restores us in the home of reunion. Did you notice what happened in verses 16 and 17? He wakes up and he declares, surely, emphatically, certainly, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. In other words, what God does for Jacob is that after he leaves and loses his home and family, God creates another one for him. God creates another one for him. That's what takes place here in this text. And there are several ways to describe it. It's divine. Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. God is necessary to build a great home. God is necessary to make a man what he needs to be, to make a woman what she needs to be, to make children what they need to be. And Jacob discovered this, that God met him. It's not only divine, but it's also subtle. He said, I did not know it. Taking some time to reflect and think through and listening to the counsel and the voice of others is so profoundly necessary because these things are perceived spiritually. And if you're just starting off with Christ, if you've just come to know Christ or you've just come back to Him, a church is very, very necessary and very important because you get to walk in fellowship with others who've known God longer and might be a bit more sensitive to the things of the Spirit than you are now. That's why we need one another. It's subtle. But then, it's also awesome. And the text says that he feared the Lord, saying, this is an awesome place. Now, biblical fear is not like the fear you would have rounding a corner and seeing a rabid dog who's very hungry and sees in you its next meal. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about here. Uh, The word fear is really an inadequate uh, English word to describe um, what the Bible talks about. Uh, The word awe, being awestruck, or being in awe of someone might be better because God has uh, announced some great promises and Jacob fears or he is in awe of Almighty God because of it. This is an awesome thing. It, It is worth your heart. It's worth your soul. It's worth your energy. It's worth your pursuit. It's worth you abandoning all to embrace God because God is awesome in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, a religion that costs nothing, that gives nothing, that suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Make sure you give your all and prioritize Him because He is awesome above all other things. You'll find Him in the home of reunion. So God makes this a home 
for Jacob, and then it's accessible. Look what it says. This is the house of God, and, and, and there's a gate to it. There's a gate. There's an open gate, a gate that can be opened into the house of God. There is no one who wants to know God in Christ on his terms, who's willing to abandon all, who's willing to come humbly before God on God's terms, who will not find God. No one can be excluded. God has always come through to every humble person, every repentant person, every person that's willing to abandon their all for him. God will come through. Now, the arrogant know that there's no hope. Those who want to bargain and negotiate with God, there's no hope until they abandon their all. But those that are willing to come humbly before God will find him. Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. If you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart is what Jeremiah 29, 13 promises. And so God promises to create out of this broken masterpiece another home with him that far surpasses anything even the best of humans can create. Jesus said again, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.17. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word there, dwell, is intensified by the preposition. We can translate this, that Christ would be down home in your heart. Not through your merit, not through your performance, not through your behavior, but by faith. And that's something anyone can do today. You, you, you may not have a gift to give to God that's very impressive to others. You don't need it. You may not have the ability to concentrate right now. Your heart may and your mind may be so sacked and uh, permeated by pain, but you don't need it. You, you may not have uh, the righteousness and the purity and the virtue. None of us do. That, that makes you feel worthy to go before God. You don't need it. All you need is faith. God will take you if you will trust His Son, Jesus Christ. He will create out of your experience, out of these broken pieces. God will create another home, a home of reunion. But there's a third place from which God restores us. And that is not only the atop the ladder of revelation and the home of reunion, but God restores us at the stone of response. And that's what Jacob does from verses 18 through 22. His response uh, is observable. Uh, in verse 18, it says, He rose early in the morning and took the stone where he'd put his head, which was probably for protection, that was typical in those days, and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. It was observable. Whenever we respond appropriately to the grace of God, it should be observable. We should be able to see it. And that's why God has given us the Lord's Supper and baptism. That decision that you make for Jesus Christ and your intention to follow Him is not something anyone else can see in your heart. That, that's an invisible spiritual transaction. Oh, it's very real, but the way we manifest it is that we manifest it on God's terms. We don't start inventing religious ceremonies and uh, religious duties, and we don't inv invent religious methods and means. There's enough in the Bible to occupy, occupy us without adding layers of human, human-invented tradition and inventions. No need for that. Uh, we're, we're a people that occupy ourselves with the God-given means of responding. And whenever that invisible but real transaction happens between us and God, where we give ourselves to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we demonstrate that in an observable manner through baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And these are God's means of doing so. Holy living as well, giving as well, witnessing as well, church attendance as well, and following the Lord as he leads us. Those are biblical means as well. But this is what God says in his word, that Jacob set up a pillar from a stone and poured oil on top of it. This was observable. And then it was reasonable. He called the name of the place Bethel, the house of God. It had previously been called Luz. And he made a vow. And he said, and, and the if here is not uncertain, the, the if is the if of reasoning. Let, let me read it a certain way. Uh, if it's the if of uncertainty, it would read, well, if, if, if God will be with me and keep me, I'll be committed to him. That's not how you should read it. You should read it as if the if is a sense. Okay? Here's how it would read. Well, if God's going to be with me and keep me in the way that I'm going, give me bread to eat, clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. It's reasonable. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Jacob's reasoning this way. This is how he's thinking. If God is going to do his part, well, then he'll be my God. If that's the kind of God he is, the only reasonable thing to do is to present myself fully to him and respond to him appropriately. He is finally thinking right. He's gone from manipulating his father and devastating his brother to responding appropriately to God, and you can as well today. In other words, listen carefully and hold on to this for the rest of your life because you're going to be challenged nearly every month, perhaps every week at this point. The only reasonable, intelligent life is the life abandoned to Jesus Christ. Nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. If he's the creator, if he's the God that made Israel, if he's the God and Father of Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead, if he's coming in again in glory, if there's heaven to gain and hell to shun, if there's a judgment day coming, the only reasonable life is the one abandoned to Jesus Christ. Nothing else makes sense at all. Only Jesus, only living for him is reasonable. Everything else falls outside the boundaries of what is reasonable. Only Jesus is wise. It's reasonable. That's how he's reasonable. And then it's financial. Verse 21, he says, And this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And so tithing appears before the law of Moses, which would come in the next book in chapter 20. So tithing is an act of God's grace and our grace in response to him, not necessarily a part of of the law. Of course, giving reminds me of Mark Batterson, a uh, pastor today. When he was a boy and his church would get into a capital campaign to raise money for buildings, he would fill out a card and commit a million dollars and sign someone else's name to it. <laughs> it's precisely what he did. That's not what you have here. Jacob is giving what he's got to God, and God is giving what he's got to Jacob. He comes through. He begins to work in a way that restores him, and he does so when Jacob responds to him. And so, with God as he is here in the text, 
a reasonable response is to abandon our all to him. If we have had that encounter with him where we've repented and placed faith in him, an observable, a reasonable, and even a financial response is profoundly uh, reasonable and appropriate to God is what the text is tailored to teach us this morning. It could be that you've had that with Christ. You've met him, but you've not followed him in baptism. It's time to do so. That's reasonable. It makes sense to heaven. It makes sense to God. And then participating in the Lord's Supper with a clean and a pure heart, a heart that is fully turned towards him. That is the reasonable thing to do this morning. So whatever has happened internally, you express it externally in God's ways. And two of those ways are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And that's why we observe it today. Now, this is predicated upon the notion that you have already given your heart and life to Jesus Christ and that you have said yes to Him. You've repented from your sin. You've rejected it. You've set it aside, anything that keeps you from Jesus. We know you won't be perfect, but you've made a decision to say no to whatever keeps you from Jesus, and you've said yes to Him, believing in His cross and His resurrection. You may be asking, well, what in the world do I do? Reminds me of the fellow by the name of Frank who went to his doctor and his doctor joked with him and said, your x-ray shows you've got a broken rib, but we'll fix it with Photoshop. Well, the first thing you need is that you need the right tool. You've got to have the right tool. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but anytime I go to repair something in my home with a screwdriver, if I have a Phillips screwdriver in my hand, I need a flathead when I get there. And if I need a flathead, I've got a Phillips screwdriver. When I discover that, as disappointed as I am, and it happens all the time, there is no solution to that problem, none whatsoever. Hey, people, what, you don't fix things around your home? You're looking at me like i got a snake on my head. I'm telling you, there is no solution to that problem at all. If you need a Phillips, you'll carry a flathead. If you carry a flathead, you'll carry a Phillips. I know what you're saying. Just take both with you next time. I've heard of it for 28 years. Haven't done it yet, but listen to me. <laughs> when I discover I've got the wrong tool, I turn around and go back and get the right one. I change my mind. I don't get stubborn that I'm going to use the flathead where a Phillips is needed or a Phillips where a flathead is needed. That's why some of you are very, very frustrated and far from God right now. That's why you can't shake that dark cloud of guilt over your head. That's why you can't make any right decisions. That's why you bust through one romantic relationship after another. That's why you can't get any traction with your life. You're, you're using a flathead where a Phillips is necessary. Or a Phillips where a flathead is necessary. Change your mind and turn around, come to God and get the right tool, and that is a walk with Jesus Christ that begins with His grace. And then I find the right tool and trust that it will work. And that's what God is calling uh, from you. Uh, the Bible says in Acts 26, 20, that Paul preached repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You turn and you trust. You make a decision, I'm going to turn. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind. I'm tired of the broken pieces. This mess is too big for me to clean up. There's no way I'm capable. I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. I don't have the character. I don't have the wisdom to take my masterpiece and put it back the way it should be. In fact, we probably ought to start all over. So I come to God who's standing atop the ladder of revelation. I come to God who um, dwells in the house of reunion. I come to God and turn to Him, trusting His Son, because 
He is the God who stands at the stone of response. It's time to do that with him today. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you and give you the opportunity to turn to God, to repent and place faith in him and to rectify anything that you need to rectify with God. And then we'll sing a song. And if you need to go forward and go public for Jesus Christ, follow him in baptism, we want you to come. If you need to get your heart, life, relationships, or intentions in the right direction before the Lord's Supper, then we'll give you the opportunity to do that as well. But it's necessary to embrace what God has said in his word and say yes to him because God is the kind of God who shows up when the masterpiece is in pieces. Would you stand with me real quickly, please, and let's pray together. Well, Lord, here we are, and we've looked into your word, and we are in desperate need of you. Would you come powerfully?